Welcome to Animal Health Insights. This podcast was created to connect producers, veterinarians, and animal owners, and to introduce you to the people and the organizations who are working to support animal health in Canada. Our podcast is developed with the support of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. Through these podcasts, CAS aims to engage veterinarians, producers, and the public in discussions around animal health and infectious disease as part of work to strengthen animal health surveillance through knowledge, awareness, and data sharing. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Todd. I'm also a veterinarian. Let's get started. When we think of the bacteria Salmonella, most of us think of a nasty bout of gastrointestinal distress that occurs after we eat a meal where some food product was undercooked. Symptoms of a Salmonella infection for people generally include diarrhea, vomiting, and gastrointestinal cramps, potentially leading to dehydration, and occasionally even death. Obviously, these are all conditions we certainly would like to avoid. As humans, we're not alone when we deal with salmonella infections. Many other warm and cold-blooded animals can carry or be infected with some strain of salmonella bacteria. There are many strains of salmonella, and these strains can cause different clinical signs for the infected individual. Many of these strains can be zoonotic, meaning they can be spread from animals to humans. And this is one of the reasons that salmonella bacteria are so important to monitor. Salmonella are also sneaky bacteria because animals or humans that survive an initial infection may become what we call carriers, meaning they can shed the bacteria without having apparent signs of infection, and this can cause or lead to a chronic infection in a population. Our pet animals can be infected with salmonella, as can our horses, our cattle, our poultry, or swine, so it is important to practice good hygiene and always consider the potential for bacterial transmission when we're interacting with other animals, whether these are pets, agricultural animals, or even wildlife species. Although we normally think of the gastrointestinal clinical signs when we think of salmonellosis, different strains can have varied effects upon their host species. For the past number of years, in our cattle populations, veterinarians and producers have dealt with a host-adapted strain of salmonella that causes significant respiratory disease and sepsis in calves and can cause major production losses for an infected herd. This bacterium, known as Salmonella Dublin, can be shed in a variety of bodily secretions, including milk, and although pasteurization is definitely effective at eliminating this bacteria from any pasteurized milk product, Because it is zoonotic, it is monitored quite closely. Veterinarians work hard with their producers to set up biosecurity and treatment protocols on-farm to help minimize new infections and manage risk factors such as the purchase of new cattle. But there is also a lot of exciting work going on at universities and with governments and disease surveillance organizations to establish some programs so that we can effectively track infections and communicate this disease prevalence and risk information back to producers and veterinarians. Today, I welcome Dr. Simon Dufour, a professor in the Department of Pathology and Microbiology at the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Montreal, to share some information on Salmonella Dublin infections in dairy calves and cattle, and to discuss some collaborative projects that are in the works to help manage this important emerging pathogen. Dr. Dufour's main expertise is in the epidemiology of infectious diseases of dairy cattle, He is currently the director of the Canadian Bovine Mastitis and Milk Quality Research Network, and he is also director of the Strategic Recruitment OP Plus Lay and the research chair on biosecurity in milk production. Welcome to Animal Health Insights, Dr. Dufour. 
Hello, thank you for having me around. So could you please explain a bit about Salmonella Dublin and its emergence in cattle populations in Canada? When did this bacterium first become an issue and why do you think it happened? Well, okay, actually the disease was already present. Actually, we had some human cases prior to 2011, 2010, but there was never any clear association with within-country contamination. You know, as humans, we tend to travel and we eat food coming from different sources. So it's normal to have some cases of a disease, even though it's not present in the animals that we're raising. But what happened actually after 2011, the human cases were on the rise and we started to have confirmation of this disease, Salmonella Dublin, first in veal productions, then beef, cow-calf, and more recently dairy. And actually they started to isolate more frequently the bacteria in these cattle production system. And in parallel to this, more cases in human also. So we pretty much think that there wasn't really a, a lot or not any Salmonella Dublin infected herd in the past, but it was introduced in our herds. And now it is spreading in our herds. So it is endemic now. We say endemic when it's a disease that is present, deemed to be present in the population. And now we are, uh, well, I'm working mainly with dairy herds, but we estimate that about 6% of the dairy herds uh, in Quebec, for instance, are positive actually to uh, this bacteria. So we think that the disease was introduced in the country and possibly by movement of animals. Actually, the disease was already present in the U.S., for instance, and we do have a lot of veal calves that are imported to Canada from the U.S., especially in Quebec, actually, that's one thing that happens a lot. So what are some of the first clinical signs that might cause a veterinarian or a producer to suspect that a Salmonella Dublin infection might be present in a certain herd? Okay, that's one of the problems, actually, of Salmonella Dublin. What are the clinical signs? Most practitioners, most veterinary practitioners, they're used to the idea that salmonella, there's many, many different types actually of, of salmonella. When you have salmonella, it's going to be diarrhea and fever. And especially in young animals, although we see it in, the, in adult animals as well. Salmonella Dublin is a bit special because it does cause sometimes diarrhea and fever, but also respiratory diseases abortion, mortality of calves at calving, it, it creates all sorts of clinical patterns. And uh, for a long time, it was not recognized because of that. You know, people would say, oh, there's a bit of abortion. There's, oh, it's fall time. I have a bit of respiratory problem in the herd. But nobody would think about a salmonella to, to cause that. But this one is a bit special. It causes different clinical uh, patterns. And it is also the only salmonella that is adapted to cows. So most salmonella, they are multi-species. They will go from chicken to uh, swine to cattle to human. Actually, this is why it's a zoonosis as well. It's a disease that can be transmitted from animal to human. Uh, but salma and, and then the animal will clear out the infection. It's, they're not going to stay infected. Salmonella Dublin is a bit different. It has a host, which is the cow. And so when a cow is infected, she may get rid of the infection, but many of them actually will keep Salmonella Dublin in their body. 
and will keep excreting it for a long period of time. And these cows, many of them don't have any clinical signs. So you can see some of the clinical signs that I was telling you about in the herd, like respiratory problem, abortion, some diarrhea. But uh, you may have some cows that are infected, are shedding the bacteria in the herd, and just don't show anything at all. So that, that's one of the problems with this specific salmonella. Is salmonella Dublin then an issue for all types of cattle production? So like the beef sector, veal sector, and dairy? Or does it have more significant impacts on different types of herds? Salmonella Dublin is an issue for pretty much all type of cattle production. All type of cattle can be affected. And in all type of cattle, also you can have these persistently infected animals that are going to shed the, the bacteria. But the issue may be a bit more complex for veal calf's operation or beef feedlot mainly because they receive animals from many different sources. You know, those people that are raising veals for meat, they're going to receive in a group of 100 calves, it may be 80 different farms, actually, that are sending a few calves. So if they are, we were discussing at the beginning, maybe 6% of dairy farms that are infected with Salmonella Dublin, if you buy from 80 farms, well, you're going to have two or three or four farms with some Salmonella Dublin. And so you may have two or three or four calves in your group that are positive. And within a few weeks, you have your 100 calves that are positive. In this type of system, it's more about how can we control the negative impact of Salmonella Dublin in our group of calves that we're buying and, and entering into our facility rather than how can we prevent Salmonella Dublin from entering, you know, because it's going to enter pretty much with all group of cats. If you have just a bit of, of Salmonella Dublin in the dairy population, you're going to have Dublin in your group of calves. So, and the same will happen with the feedlot, actually. So maybe you're, you are asking if some industry, some type of cattle production are more at risk. Well, probably that veals and feedlots are, are more of a problem. Dairy, actually, in most situations, you have animals that are leaving the farms, but not many animals that are coming into the farms. Uh, no, not a lot of introduction, hopefully, but it's a bit more closed than, than these other type of production. So it sounds like purchasing in animals is a big risk factor for this disease. Are there some other risk factors for the introduction of Salmonella Dublin into a herd or a, a farm? Yes, there are other risk factors. Actually, the disease is transmitted through, well, the, the bacteria is shed mainly in feces. This is where you're going to find it in a large amount. So you can contaminate an animal that is free of the infection if you have feces with Salmonella Dublin in it. So this is the thing that you want to keep away from the other animals, the healthy animals. Like you said, like many infectious diseases, we tend to buy diseases. So we buy a new animal and we buy the disease at the same time. So buying an animal that is infected is a big risk because it's not going to shed. Uh, it's not like introducing a bit of feces and that's it. It's going to produce feces and produce bacteria every day. But exchanging equipment between farms as well. So if you exchange equipment that was used to spread manure and then you go with the tractor inside the barn to do some cleanup or something like that, then you can introduce these contaminated feces in your barn. Visitors as well. So if you have a, 
This is why when the vet is coming to your herd, it always changes overall. It disinfects his boots before leaving. So you need to be very careful not introducing feces from an other herd into a herd that is healthy. So that's the main idea. So we, we had a couple of cases, actually one of the clients that we're working with and that has Salmonella Dublin. He had a veal operation. Uh, his neighbor has a veal operation next to him. His tractor was broken and he, he borrowed a tractor to clean up the barn once. And they turned out having Salmonella Dublin in the following weeks, actually, and there was no cattle, butt or anything. So you pretty much know what, what happened. And actually the neighbor after that confirmed that he had Salmonella Dublin in his veal calf operation. So it was not malicious or anything, but it was just a, a bad calculation and somebody that wanted to help out somebody else. And that's that's how things happen sometimes. So you need to remember about the equipment that can transmit feces from barn to barn. That's that's one of the big deal. But there is no risk, you know, through airborne contamination or stuff like that. So it is a disease that can be prevented. That's something that we can easily prevent from entering the herd. So I guess if we're trying to prevent this disease, we do need to be able to diagnose it in herds so that we can know if it's present or not. If a veterinarian suspects that a herd might be infected with Salmonella Dublin, what are the steps to obtaining a diagnosis? What testing is available right now, and how long does it take to get a test result? Okay, well, first of all, it's not long. Okay, There is no test. Uh, well, maybe some of, um, of our producer might be used to some tests that we had for paratuberculosis that were taking weeks, actually, like 13 weeks to get to a result. This is not a problem with Salmonella Dublin. We have very efficient tests that can deliver results relatively quickly. The main problem is that most of them are not very precise. So that's, you have a lot of false positive and false negative. And the choice of the test probably depends on your aim. Is it that you have some suspicion of a case and you want to confirm on that specific animal if this is what's happening or it's more you have a very healthy herd and you want to assess every now and then is everything okay is it still negative for salmonella dublin so the first scenario it's easier to work with if you have an animal that is sick or or you suspect something and you want to test an animal there are two ways you can work that out you can try to find the bacteria or the dna of that bacteria itself or you can try to find the antibody that the animal produced against that bacteria. And the idea is that when you search for the bacteria, when you find it, you're 100% sure. You get your confirmation. They cannot, they can't be any mistake. But when you don't find it, that's the problem. These tests are not super sensitive. The cow, for instance, may shed bacteria, may shed salmonella in her feces every now and then. So if you take the sample between shedding cycle, you won't find it. And so you will have a cow that is apparently negative. But if you test again a few weeks later, you may come just at the right time and then you would find it. So when you look for DNA or for the bacteria, if you find it, if the test is positive, you're 100% sure about it. If the test is negative, mm, that's the difficulty. When you look for antibodies, it's exactly the opposite. Usually when the cow gets through the infection, she's going to produce some antibodies. But these the antibodies that we're trying to identify are not 
100% specific to Salmonella Dublin. Some other Salmonella can also cause some reactions. So when we do a test to try to identify if a cow has antibodies against Salmonella Dublin, we're going to have some false positive. Some cow may come out positive, but actually she has another Salmonella, not the one that we're interested in. And as I mentioned at the beginning, these other Salmonella, they are usually cured by the cow. It's not something that is going to be permanent. So it's not as important maybe as Salmonella Dublin is. So there's that uh, difficulty between antibodies, which is serology usually. We're trying to find these antibodies in the blood of the cow versus bacteriology. That could be culture of the bacteria or trying to find the DNA. Could be in feces, could be in other biological material as well, like milk. But then you're more sure about a positive result, while with serology, you're more certain about the negative result. When you don't have antibodies, then it's very likely that there is no problem. That's a bit of the difficulty with that disease. Currently, I think that the best way, if you want to know if the disease is present in your herd, is probably some uh, necropsy on the dead animals, dead calves. There are calves that are dying on the farm every now and then. Could be a good idea if you have some respiratory problem in the herds or abortion or some strange things going on to send these calves for analysis and try to find out what they died of. And if Salmonella Dublin is present in the herd, this is a very good uh, sentinel, these dead calves, to try to identify it. So that does sound a bit complicated. I feel like then perhaps one of the ways that we could maybe improve management of this disease is maybe to improve our time to a diagnosis and our ability to test for Salmonella Dublin. Are there some new tests or diagnostic strategies on the horizon? Yes, we're trying to develop strategies mainly for surveillance. So not necessarily when you have a suspicion of a case of Salmonella Dublin, but rather we want to follow herds. We want to find out if they are free of the infection and if they are becoming infected. And actually we're targeting early detection. You don't want to be late because you want to put some intervention rapidly in place. And with these strategies, the difficulty when you try to determine if a herd is positive or, or negative is that you have to wait out, well, on one side, testing all the individual animals, and it's going to be costly because if you have 100 animals, you have 100 tests, or uh, testing a, a pool, a sample that represents a number of animals. So the bulk milk, for instance, represents all the milking cows. Uh, so usually what happens if you have half of your cow that are infected and you take a bulk milk sample, you're probably going to find it. But think about it. If you have one cow that is infected and a hundred that are not, then the milk of that cow is diluted by the milk of the 99 cows that are not infected. And it's very hard then to find out the antibodies or the DNA of the bacteria in that milk. So that's the problem with pool sample. Still, Bull milk is very interesting because it's collected every other day, roughly, in all farms. So we could possibly test at the milk plant or somewhere else. And so you could test a number of times per year, and it could be very handy for early detection. On the other hand, you could not send a vet, you know, every other week or every other day to collect blood sample and, and test the animals. That, that would not make any sense. So we did investigate a lot bulk milk as a possibility for monitoring what's happening on the herds. 
right now what we know about this test is that it is very reliable when you have a negative result. So if you take a bulk milk test, we're looking for the antibodies usually, so it's an ELISA test. And when you get a negative result, you're 97% certain that it is a negative herd. The problem is that when the test is positive, if you have three herds that test positive, there is one that is a true positive, and the other two are false positive. These are mistake of the test. So we started thinking, well, can we use a test like this? for monitoring, you know, the posit with all these false positives. And actually, what we came out with in terms of strategy is that it could be used for monitoring and mainly for discarding the negative herds. You know, you test regularly. If you're negative, there is nothing to do. If you come out positive, that doesn't mean that you have a Salmonella Dublin problem. That would just be an indication that this would be a herd where we need to do individual animal testing. So that's pretty much the strategy that we're coming with. Monitoring with bulk milk, for instance, and when you have a positive bulk milk, it's not a confirmation at all of Salmonella Dublin. It's just an indication that this is a herd where we could do some individual animal testing. And there's actually two chance out of three that all the animals will come out negative and that there will be nothing else to do and we can just keep monitoring. But one of these herds, one herd out of three, we may actually find some positive animal and then start to put control measure in place to try to control the disease. So you've already mentioned the term disease surveillance. In Quebec, if a veterinarian suspects a Salmonella Dublin infection, they also report this to the provincial regulatory veterinarians. Can you explain why this type of disease surveillance is so essential? Yeah, we are still, you know, very low prevalence of this disease, five, six percent. So there's still a way to control it and perhaps to get it out of our dairies as well. So I think we need to keep that objective in mind. Maybe that's a possibility. But I think it's, it's very essential to do the surveillance, mainly because it's a zoonosis. So it can be transmitted from animal to human. And cattle is pretty much the only source of Salmonella Dublin for a human. I mean, when there's a human case of Salmonella Dublin and you try to trace back, if you're able to trace it back to something, it's going to be to cattle product. And the disease in human can be very severe. Some people can be very sick and there can even be some mortality. And well, to add to this, uh, Salmonella Dublin tend to be resistant to uh, many antimicrobials. So it's a bug that is resistant to antimicrobials. So when you try to treat humans, you don't have a lot of success. So I think it's really important to identify early in the population of, of cattle where the problem is and try to control it. For dairy production, uh, actually, one big firewall that we have is pasteurization of milk and Salmonella Dublin is very sensitive to that. So if you pasteurize the milk, there will probably not be any problem after that. And almost 99% of the milk is pasteurized in Quebec, same as in the other provinces actually. But when we have a dairy herd that is positive and there's some clinical signs so we suspect the disease actually uh, is really present, then we need to make sure that the milk from this farm is going to go on the pasteurization system. It's likely to be, but we just need to ensure that 100% sure. So uh, so that's one of the reasons. And well, 
it's important also to be able to report these results to the, the different veterinary practitioners so they know that it is present in the given region, not necessarily on a given farm because it's confidential, but actually in their region so they can raise a bit their level of surveillance and awareness and be prepared for introduction in, in new herds and test early like we discussed. So I know you kind of lead into my next question because I, I know privacy of information is such a huge concern whenever we think about disease surveillance and how we can communicate information about infections to others, whether that's other veterinarians or other producers in the sector. There is that constant balance, you know, between ensuring that information can be available in a timely fashion so that we can take steps to protect animal and human health, but then also ensuring client confidentiality. Can you tell us about some of your projects that you're working on so that we can effectively communicate Salmonella Dublin incidence data to producers and veterinarians while trying to protect their privacy? Well, I have two different projects actually that are trying to fix a bit these issues or actually try to improve that. Uh, they are in development, so it's probably for the next few years that uh, we're going to work on that and try to come up with something. One of them is actually about buying and selling animals. You, you know, we discussed it. This is a big issue for all type of disease. And many vets will tell their clients, you know, you need a close herd, don't buy animals. But with the quota system that we have, sometimes herds are allowed to produce more milk, sometimes less, it varies. Buying and selling cow is pretty much part of the system. You need some of it actually to control your milk production. So we try to turn around that question and try to find another angle to it and we ask ourselves well how can we just make this safer you know is there a way to make buying and selling animal safer than it is currently and one thing that we would like to develop is, is something that I, we, we call for now the cow tinder i don't know if it's gonna change name eventually but there are a lot of testing that are done on different herds all this information is available. Some of them is centralized, for instance, with the Dairy Producer Association. And we're thinking, well, perhaps the disease status of the different herds can be determined with these testing uh, that are done. And for different diseases, not just for Salmonella Dublin, but perhaps for other diseases as well. Uh, for instance, we have somatic cell count data. Salmonella Dublin is one thing that we're going to have soon in Quebec. Or leucosis. Uh, there's all sorts of disease that herds are tested for. But you don't want to have a website where you have the disease status of all the, the, your neighbors, actually. That wouldn't be correct. So one possibility is that the disease status is somewhere, and somebody that is looking for animals can go, for instance, on this cow tender application and look for herds that fit some characteristic that they're looking for. So a uh, low somatic cell count, uh, negative for Salmonella Dublin, with maybe a certain probability of being negative because it's been tested a number of times and something like that. And well, they could swipe right or left, depending if the herd fits their criteria. And then there's a private message that can be sent to the herd that was selected about, well, if they have animals to sell or not, and they can decide to respond or not, and then figure out a first date for exchanging animals. So that could be one possibility. So that's the general idea that we're trying to work out and see if it could become a, a reality. And another idea that we have in mind is more about 
all the lab results that are not necessarily part of a surveillance system or a regular testing system, but you know, vet are going to take a feces sample, a milk sample, a blood sample for different diseases. They are all analyzed in different labs. Sometimes it's a governmental lab, academic lab in our university. We, we do have diagnostic lab as well, and uh, sometimes private lab as well. And they all have, well, these results that are stored Different database, different system, but one expertise that we develop in my research group is about trying to manage all these different type or format of information and organize them in a way that is meaningful and present them on the web interface or something like that where everybody has access and can actually consult it. And now it, it doesn't say that this herd in this region tested positive for that. It's more about a level of disease in a large region. So, for instance, at fall time, producer is asking his vet, well, I don't know if I should vaccinate this year for respiratory disease or wait a bit longer to, to do it. And just by consulting the results from the lab on the interface, they could figure out, well, there is already some respiratory disease in the region, so maybe we should vaccinate early and be ready for that. Or, no, it doesn't seem to be a problem right now, and it doesn't seem to be a problem in the region around us too. So maybe we're not that at risk of developing that. So that would be the general idea for this second thing. So it would be reporting these, uh, we call it passive surveillance because it's not part of, this, of a surveillance system, but it's still very useful data that can be presented to vet and producers. But right now it's just stored in database and it doesn't do nothing. So good idea to try to do something with it. Those both sound like two pretty interesting projects. I have to say, I love the idea of cow tinder. Uh, that's, that's a great idea, I think. And it really may bring some changes to how we think about, you know, making our purchasing decisions when we are bringing new animals into a herd. We've talked about that a few times, that this is a, a significant risk factor for the introduction of Salmonella Dublin into a herd when we purchase new animals. So this would apply, I guess, whether it might be calves or adult cattle. Do you have any ideas as to how we might minimize risks for producers when they're buying and selling cattle? Currently, there's still things that we can do. We don't need to wait for all these new things. But currently, uh, I guess the first step is asking the owner about the status of his herd and for different diseases, not just for Salmonella Dublin. So trying to get some knowledge on what's going on in that herd. And if somebody don't want to share that information, then maybe you should go somewhere else. Maybe that's not a good idea to buy from that farm. And then I would recommend for like specifically for dairy herds, but to test the animals that they want to bring to their farm and to test them before bringing it to their farm. And so before confirming that the sale is, is okay for them. So, and there's probably a number of disease that they should look for. And again, it depends of their herd and their level of um, worriness about different diseases, but probably that you don't want to buy a cow that is uh, leucosis positive, uh, salmonella dune positive, or that has some kind of a mastitis problem either. So that's probably three big thing. Paratuberculosis would be another one. But in a herd where you already have a disease and you're not trying to control it, then maybe you could give up a bit on that and say, well, if I'm buying a cow that has a status that is similar to the one in my herd, then I'm not increasing the level of disease. You're not decreasing it either. But I think 
testing the animals that you want to buy is a very, very good investment, actually. You know, you can spend $40, $50 on tests, and you're going to prevent a lot of loss of money later on. It seems like there's a number of ways we can potentially improve our management and our response to this particular pathogen then. So where do we start, is my question. Is it most important that we communicate the disease surveillance information or to develop diagnostic strategies? Or do we work on identifying and communicating the risk factors and improve our biosecurity? If you had to choose like just one of these things to start with, which would you choose and why do you think that would be the most impactful? This is a very difficult question. Why do I have to choose, actually? <laughs> uh, you know, on one side, knowledge is power. So if you can have a good diagnostic strategy, you know what's going on. So, so you know it's great. So on one side, there's that. But on the other side, if you have very good, very complete biosecurity protocols, you can block out diseases that are not even known currently you know there would be if you if you are able to prevent introduction of feces in the farm and you have a new disease that we don't know about well like salmonella dublin a few years ago it was unknown and you have biosecurity practices that make it impossible to introduce feces in your farm then you would block out the, this, this disease, even though you don't know about it. You don't know that, it, that you've prevented the introduction of that disease. And you perhaps even don't know that it exists, but you did block it out. So yeah, so it's a very difficult question. I think I would go for the biosecurity protocols just to make sure that we prevent introduction of diseases. And if we have very complete protocol, you would prevent introduction of disease that can be introduced, disease that have different mode of transmission, you know, airborne, through feces, to uh, dam to daughter if you don't introduce, you know, a positive cow and all of these things. So I think I would go for the biosecurity practices, but I hate to choose. Fair enough. I think though that, you know, choosing biosecurity is a pretty good one because that gives everyone really a place to start because everybody can deal with biosecurity issues on their farm right now. That's something that everyone can take some steps to uh, implement while others are working on getting some of these other strategies in place. So I think that's a good one to choose as a starting point. Thank you so much today for joining me, Dr. Dufour. There, there's obviously a lot of excellent work in progress to investigate Salmonella Dublin and to continue to ensure the health of our calves and our cattle and our human populations, as well as, I guess, more broadly to ensure Canadian food safety. What resources would you suggest for a veterinarian or for a producer to gain some more information on Salmonella Dublin and some of these projects that are in the works? There were already some publication in the, well, there's some scientific publication, of course, but the access is not always easy. But there's some publication of our work in the Producers magazine, for instance, like Le Producteur de les Québécois, The Mill Producer. But one good place also to get some information is the web page of the Ministry of Agriculture of the different provinces. Actually, I know that the one in Quebec, the MAPAC, has a very interesting page on Salmonella Dublin with a lot of information. And I haven't looked for the one, let's say, at Omafra in Ontario or the other provinces, but I suspect that there may be some really good work also that was done there. So these could be very valuable source of information also. So if you're interested to learn more about Salmonella Dublin, We'll be sure to post some of these links and resources online at www.cas.ca.
Thanks once again, Dr. Dufour, for sharing your expertise with us at Animal Health Insights. It's been great to learn more about this important emerging pathogen and all of these research and disease surveillance collaborative projects. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System for their support of the Animal Health Insights podcast. CAS is an initiative of the National Farmed Animal Health and Welfare Council, and it has broad-based support from both livestock sectors and from government. CAS brings together data and information from across Canada in order to demonstrate animal health and to guide planning on national animal health priorities. Effective disease surveillance can demonstrate the health of our animals, and it enables prompt action to minimize the negative impacts of disease. Funding is provided through the Agri-Assurance Program under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a federal, provincial, territorial initiative.